they found that they were looking at a most extraordinary face. It belonged to a large, man-like, almost troll-like figure, at least 14 foot high, very sturdy, with a tall head and hardly any neck. Whether it was clad in stuff like green and grey bark, or whether that was hide, was difficult to say. Treebeard, the two towers. Megavarden and Melon, and welcome back to Interesting Tales from Tolkien, a Podmoot. I'm Mel. And I'm Kristen. And this week, we are reading The Two Towers, Book 1, Chapter 4, Treebeard, the chapter where our namesakes come from. I finally understand the name of our podcast. It's taken me this long to figure out what we were actually talking about, so... Yay! We're having a pod moot instead of an ent moot. I love it. Hopefully we are not taking days and days and days to come to any decisions. But I have to say, we're going to launch into our 30-second recaps here. And the idea of condensing this chapter about the trees who are so purposefully slow and even their names get longer and longer as they grow and live longer. Like the idea of turning that into a 30-second recap just makes me giggle. But you've got it. You've got it. I believe that you can do it. But before you do it, I need to have a gripe. No one's sending us their 30-second recaps of Fellowship of the Ring. I think they just like to see me suffer every week. Well, I guess you're going to have to suffer again for your art, Mel. Are you ready to recap the Fellowship? I am. Here you go. Three, two, one. Frodo is a hobbit living in the Shire who inherits a magical ring from his uncle Bilbo. 17 years later, the wizard Gandalf comes to the Shire and says, hey, you got to get rid of that, and sends him off on a quest with some other hobbits. Anyway, he meets all these people along the way. They go to Rivendell where they have a big council and realize that Frodo has to walk the ring all the way to Mordor and destroy it. So they form a company called the Fellowship of the Ring. They lose Gandalf in the mines of Moria. Very sad. They then visit the elf witch lady Galadriel in her forest and get gifts. Cool. Go down a river. And Frodo realizes he has to leave the Fellowship because the ring has taken Boromir and driven him crazy. And so the Fellowship shattered. I'm amazed how every week you do that and the details of the story just shift slightly every time. Like you actually don't say the same thing over and over again. I love it. However, listeners, can we please give Mel a break? Can we please get some help? (laughs) Help. Elizabeth and Lincoln, I am talking to you. (laughs) We've got our eyes on you too. (laughs) All right, Mel, clear the cache, reset your timer. It's time to catch us up to where we are in the two towers. Are you ready? I'm ready. Three, two, one. So the fellowship is broken. Aragorn finds Boromir dying and Boromir tells him what happened between him and Frodo. He also tells him that the hobbits Merry and Pippin are being captured by orcs. Bad. Aragorn, Legolas and Gimli decide that they're going to go after Merry and Pippin and let Frodo finish the quest alone. So they start tracking Merry and Pippin and the orcs over the plains of Rohan. They meet some rogue Rohirrim who tell them what have happened has happened and given them horses, we then find out what has happened in another chapter where we follow Merry and Pippin while they're prisoners of the orcs, but they escape because the Rohirrim attack and kill the orcs and Merry and Pippin run into a forest. Well done. <laughs> you're going to give me a break now and you're going to take 30 seconds to recap this monumentous chapter. Once again. Are you ready? I am going to speak quickly where the trees are going to laugh at me. So count me in. You can start in three, two, one. Merry and Pippin head deep into Fangorn where the air is thick. They meet Treebeard, one of the three original Ents. He takes them to an Ent house, gives them tree drinks, and tells them of his people. How they are slow, how they lost the Ent wives, how elves taught them speech and song, and like men, they are free. 
At the Entmut, a gathering of the trees, the trees decide to go to Isengard while Bregalod keeps the hobbits company. Sauron is breathing new orcs crossed with men, and the trees are against orc and other evils. They arrive at Isengard. You did really, really well with that, actually. It's a weird chapter in that a lot happens very quickly and not a lot happens over a long period of time. Well, long reading time, I should say. I loved this chapter. And I, you and I have been talking offline that you really don't like this chapter and have been trying to avoid it. And I loved it. I loved the getting to know the ant and then seeing how they kind of move through history and how the older ones and the younger ones, and we'll talk as we go through the chapter, but... I'm going to say that the Ents are my second favorite character now in the show after Tom Bombadil. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. I like all the information. I love the stories. I find it all really interesting. I think it's just the way it was presented in the book throws me off a bit. And it just, for me, I get it. He does it really well. They're meant to be slow and things take a long time, but... I just struggle. I'm like, give me some action and put the information amongst the action. But we have like this whole song where Treebid sings both parts and all this other ridiculousness. I loved that song, I have to say. Like, I actually thought it was super cute and clever. And anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get there very soon. Well, before we get into the chapter, though, let's go through the list of all the new characters that we have met. Yes, so we've got the great-great-grandfather of Pippin, old Garontius Took. We meet Treebeard, our titular character, also known as Fangorn. I love that, that his name has actually become the name of the forest, and he actually introduces himself as the Ent. Now we see why. And he also mentions that there are two other remaining of the original Ents, Leaflock, also known as Finglass, and Skinbark, also known as Fladriff. We also hear about the Entings and the Entwives, and we get a couple of Ent Maidens' names, Fimbrithel and Wandlim the Lightfooted. Once we get to the Ent Moot, we meet basically the Ent Babysitter, Bregalod, also known as Quickbeam, and he's the hasty Ent. He's the only one who doesn't like to take his time. He once answered a question before another Ent finished asking. <laughs> And then we also hear about some rowan trees that have been cut down by orcs, and they are named Orofani, Lassamista, and Carnimiri. I think that's how you say them. We'll figure it out at some point. <laughs> look, look, I'm not an Elvish expert. I just get by. All right, well, let's dive into this chapter, Mel. And I'm going to hold you to your decree that, unlike the Ents, you are going to try to get through this chapter as quickly as possible. Look, there's a lot of interesting stuff, and I'm, I'm going to admit that I just don't enjoy how it's presented. That is, that is my criticism, but it's the most Tolkien-ish chapter that Tolkien ever did write. Trees and leaves and forests, oh my. <laughs> and this chapter picks up where the last one left off, because the last one, it finished with saying that after the raid, many eyes saw the smoke rising to the heaven of the burning pyre that the Rohirrim made. And it starts with, meanwhile, the hobbits went with as much speed as the dark and tangled forest allowed. And we get this description of the air being different. But before that, Mary and Pippin find a stream and they drink the very best water they've ever had. It refreshes them. And they decide they can follow the Entwash and make their way through the forest. 
And this is where Pippin talks about the old Took's place and how this forest reminds him of that, where everything was set in exactly the same place for not only the old Took's lifetime, but then for years after that. And I love that. We all have that relative, right? That no one dares move a thing after they've passed on. Yeah. They keep going on, and I love that they also have to work out. They're like, okay, well, we know it's not Mirkwood because it doesn't match Bilbo's description because they are like, Mirkwood was meant to be black and the home of dark things. This is just dim and frightfully tree-ish, and you can't imagine animals living here at all. Nor hobbits. (laughs) And they are a little bit pressed for strategies and supplies because the only thing they managed to take with them is about five days worth of broken fragments of Lembus. They are now realizing that it's morning and they see this yellow light of the sun coming through the trees, but they have to figure out where they are. And it takes them even a lot longer than they thought to find where the light is coming through the trees. So they start exploring their surrounds and passing through areas and they start scrambling up some rocks and get a good look around and get some air. And I love this line that Pippin says, this shaggy old forest looked so different in the sunlight. And now that the light is turning, he says, I almost felt I liked this place. And then the tree says, almost felt you liked the forest. That's good. I just loved it. Yeah. So, and this is when we meet Treebeard. And Tolkien describes him as having the most extraordinary face. It belonged to a large man-like, almost troll-like figure, at least 14 feet high and very sturdy with a tall head and hardly any neck. I love, as we go through the chapter, the different descriptions of how inhabiting a tree, but also being some sort of person and what that means. Like later on, we find out he's not very bendable. And I I love all of these little nuggets of detail about what it is to have a living tree or like a personified tree. And it also, this whole way that they meet, it reminds me of Luke Skywalker and Yoda in Star Wars, where Yoda says, you'll feel like what? And then Luke says, like we're being watched. But Treebeard is also like he's incredibly generous and open hearted and picks up the hobbits and, and is sort of examining them. We get this incredible description then as Pippin stares into his eyes. I love this whole paragraph. One felt as if there was an enormous well behind them filled up with ages of memory and long, slow, steady thinking, but their surface was sparkling with the present like sun shimmering on the outer leaves of a vast tree or on the ripples of a dark lake. And and he just goes on and on and on talking about that is the way to identify the Ents. And later on, we find out when we meet the other trees that they have, though they have different bodies, trunks and branches, you can see them and they have the same eyes. And I love that. Yeah, it's really interesting going through that and seeing all these ancient Ents as we move along. What I really enjoy is, Almost immediately, one of the things is, do not be hasty, that is my motto. And Treebit explains that they're lucky he heard their voices before he saw them, because he might have crushed them thinking they were orcs and only learnt of his mistake later. Pippin asks, like you do, well, who are you? And Treebeard takes his time, of course, 
But he also doesn't have a simple answer to this question. He has his name Treebeard, but he's also an Ent or the Ent. And then other people call him Fangorn. And Mary says, well, what is an Ent? And so then he sings this song about what an Ent is. And they are one of the four free peoples, but he's never heard of hobbits. And so he starts going through this song about all the different living beings, animals and all this. And he doesn't find anything in his song that could possibly be like a hobbit. So Pippin suggests, why not make a new line? Half-grown hobbits, the whole dwellers. Cheeky little took. I love it. Yes, and he says, put us in amongst the four, next to the man, the big people, and you've got it. And Treebeard's like, huh, not bad. But what's a hobbit? That doesn't sound like an elvish word. And elves came up with language, so to speak. And Pippin's like, nobody calls us hobbits. We call ourselves that. And apparently that's a bit hasty. Yeah, it is a bit hasty because then Treebeard warns them that they shouldn't be so quick to tell people their actual names because there's power in all of that. And then he also explains that he can't tell them his name, or at least he's not going to right now, because it would take too long because his name is continuing to grow as he continues to live. And I love that concept. You know, if you had asked me 15, 20 years ago, how I described myself, it would be very different from how I've continued to evolve. And wouldn't that be so interesting if, you know, we called ourselves by the various adventures we've had. So, you know, I, I thought about this and I thought like, well, what would be my full on tree name? And so it would be like, Kristen the Texan from San Antonio who went to music school and became a pianist and chamber musician and then an opera conductor and then she relocated to Wisconsin and in the meanwhile she had raised two children and like I was just like what what all would we put in there so I'm curious for you Mel like what kind of stuff would be in your name we'll take take Uh, some time I'm on the spot here I guess I'll talk about like moving different places and taking up Things like writing and all of that and being a writer. I've got to be careful putting writing and writing close to each other because I know my T's sound like D's sometime. (laughs) But no, it is an interesting concept and I absolutely love it. And he says, my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of things they belong to in my language. And then he explains that Old Entish is a slow language because it takes so long because they have to do this. And so he goes on to say, we do not say anything in it unless it is worth taking a long time to say and to listen to. So that's clearly why this chapter is written the way that it is, because we have to take a long time to say everything and to listen to it. Oh, gosh, it's such a long chapter, Kristen. But then he's now apparently seeing and singing some other things and he has words for the stuff. He starts talking about knowing about the orcs and he's wondering what's going on outside the forest. What is Gandalf up to? He knows that Sauron has a different kind of orcs down at Isengard. And and then I love this. I like news, but not too quick now. And Mary says, yeah, we know a lot, but you told us not to be hasty. So we'll tell you. And the first thing they have to tell him is that they lost Gandalf in the Mines of Moria. And that's a sad thing for Treebeard. And he's like, oh, that's okay. Because he's been friends with the wizards himself. 
I do really like that with all of this, the constant reminds of not to be hasty and stuff. And they're talking about a hill. And he says, yes, that's the word, but it is a hasty word for a thing that has stood here ever since this part of the world was shaped. Yeah, I love that, that the concept of time really plays out in the language. And I did, by the way, there is a citation in this chapter to go to the appendices. And there's a little paragraph about the Ent language. And it is fascinating to just read how Tolkien thought that it would be constructed. And But in the meantime, Pippin has spoken up and said, well, aren't you going to tell us whose side you're on? And Fangorn is like, hmm, well... I'm not really on a side. I kind of do my own thing and we'll uh, we'll walk around for a while together. And he realizes also that then the hobbits are hungry and he can take them through the forest to a place where they can get some rest and get some food. Yep. And as he's wondering, I like Pippin talks about Celeborn. You learn Treebeard knows about Celeborn because he says, neither this country nor anything else outside the Golden Wood is what it was when Celeborn was young. Yeah, and it turns out that even the name Lothlorien is not the full name of that elvish land, that there's a longer one. Because everything has changed, they're not even really sure what's the relationship between Fangorn and Lothlorien anymore. And we get these beautiful things of history and stuff, and he talks about the great darkness and explains what Ents do, that they treat they're tree herders, but there's so few of them now. And he says, sheep get like shepherd and shepherds like sheep, it is said, but slowly and neither have long in the world. And he then goes on to explain that some of the ants are becoming more like trees and it takes something great to rouse them. And he also talks about that some trees do have bad hearts and that that sort of thing seems to spread. There are some very dangerous parts of their country that are like black patches. And Mary says, like the old forest away to the north. And Treebird says, well, something like that. But it's more like the great darkness from ages past was never completely eradicated. And those trees are even older than these Ents are. So what they've decided to do is just stick together and stay in their own land and kind of avoid the rest of the world. And he keeps going along, walking, and he begins to sing a song that's the song of himself, essentially. The song of Fangorn. And we find out that elves are the ones that awakened the trees and taught them to talk. And that's part of why there are different words for different things. And so we learn some of the names of the places. And there's also, in all of the songs, actually, that... Fangorn sings during this whole chapter, there's this attention to the four seasons, which I really appreciated. The yearly passage of time was still marked. He mentions, in addition to elves teaching them to talk, that the Ents are more like the elves, less interested in themselves than men are, but also Ents are more like men and more changeable, taking in the color of their outside. And we find out later that also like men, Ents are not eternal beings they can die and many of them have their numbers are dwindling and we learn more about this as the chapter goes on and like losing forests they've lost the entwives and it's quite a sad story really that they're going through but he arrives at his house and we learn that's an ent house so it has no chairs 
because Ents can't really sit, and he gives them some kind of drink to drink that fills them with strength and vitality. Like the Elvish potion and the Lambas and all of the food that they are encountering in Middle-earth has these quasi-magical properties. They don't really understand it and they can't really label what the flavor is but it definitely tastes like nature and i just i just love that once treebeard has had his drink he lies down explaining that if he doesn't the drink will go to his head and he'll fall asleep but he lies down wanting to hear the hobbit's story it says now tell me your tale and do not hurry and the hobbits tell him everything except about the ring because they know that's something they're not allowed to talk about if he stands upright and later on we find out he sleeps by standing in order to prevent the drink from going to his head, he actually has to lay down flat. Like, I just love that. It's one of those really cool details because Tolkien is such good at attention to detail. So Mary and Pippin start the tale of their adventures. And I love this where it says they followed no very clear order for they interrupted one another continually and Treebeard often stopped the speaker and went back to some earlier point. I mean, you can just imagine this conversation as the two of them get more and more excited and keep forgetting things and you forgot to talk about that. And And then he stops them and asks if they've seen any Entwives around the Shire. And he explains that they've kind of lost them and they're not quite sure where they are and he was hoping maybe... They will go somewhere like the Shire because it sounds like a nice place. And Tolkien also talks about that Treebeard is most interested in Gandalf and Saruman, more so Saruman, because Saruman has been up to things at the edge of his forest and he's concerned. We get to the end of the story and the hobbits tell all the last bit about the orc battle. And Mary says, well, so what about you? And Treebeard says, hmm, well... I haven't been troubled about the great wars because they mostly concern elves and men. That is the business of wizards. Wizards are always troubled about the future. I do not like worrying about the future. And then he says, again, that he's not on anybody's side because no one's really on their sides, not even the elves. And we already saw that a little bit back in The Hobbit and Mirkwood that the elves live in Mirkwood, but they don't have like a symbiotic relationship with it by any means. They're kind of avoiding all of the dangers and stuff that are in there. Now, Mirkwood is a little bit better now that the shadow is not in there, but there's really nothing that an Ent can do about any of this stuff, except that orcs are now also wandering into the Ent forest, which into Fangorn. And that's really odd because they have never done that before. And Treebit explains that he can no longer overlook Saruman because of this. And he's been wondering what he needs to do about him to stop. And Pippin asks, who is Saruman? Like, what do you know about him? And Treebit explains that he's a wizard. And he doesn't know too much about their history other than they came after the great ships. But they came with ships from across the sea. And he explains that Saruman was reckoned great amongst them, but he gave up on wondering like the other wizards did, gave up on the affairs of men and elves, and instead went to Angernost, or Isengard as it's called, and has holed himself up there for a very long time. And he was in the White Council, but apparently that didn't turn out so well. It's like, Treebeard doesn't know details, but it wasn't good. And he describes him as shutting himself up they're at Isengard more and more. And then this amazing detail, his face, as I remember it, 
became like windows in a stone wall, windows with shutters inside. And we've also heard from Gandalf's tale about this shift in Saruman. And Treebeard now thinks he's got it figured out and says, I think that I now understand what he's up to. He is plotting to become a power. And he says that he has a mind, I love this quote, he has a mind of metal and wheels and he does not care for growing things except as far as they serve him for the moment. And then we get this really dastardly information. He has been doing something to the orcs because the Isengarder orcs are closer to wicked men. And it's never a good thing when you create a new species. It's just not good. He doesn't really know whether they are like the riders, where they are men who've been ruined, or if he has somehow crossbred them. I was just, I was so skeeved out reading this part. I also just made a little note for myself that Sauron controls his riders by those rings. Yes, the Nazgul. So I'm wondering what it is that Sauron uses to control these new beings, that these new orc men things that he's created. I, I'm, I'm just very curious to find out what is the source. Power. Yeah, what is the source of his power? He's a wizard. Is it just his wizard power? He doesn't have like something special that he's crafted or something? Anyway, I'm just curious about all of that. Perhaps things will be revealed in the future if you just keep reading. And then Treebeard talks again about that the orcs shouldn't be in the forest and that not only are they wandering around, but they've been cutting trees to use to fuel the fires of Orthanc there at Isengard, and there is always smoke rising. Mm. And Treebeard quite suddenly gets quite angry and pretty much declares war on Isengard and says, well, if we don't do something about Saruman, all the other lands are going to fall as well because I have an enemy in front of them and an enemy behind them. And Merry and Pippin are all in for that. They want to join up and then there's this really interesting thing that happens. Treebeard sort of presses pause on his emotions, says, good, good, that's all fine, but we must not be too hasty. I've become too hot. And there's this wonderful description of him deciding to cool himself down and going outside into the rain and laughing. And then he shakes himself like a giant puppy dog. The droplets of water that fall glint like red and green sparks, but the water is literally taking his hot emotion, hot anger, whatever it is, away. And then he's at peace again. Mm. And when he comes back in, one of the funniest conversations, he talks about the Entwives and explains that they've lost them. And Pippin says, how very sad. How was it that they all died? And Treeby responds, they did not die. I never said died. We lost them, I said. We lost them and we cannot find them. And I'm just like, how did you just lose them? Did you just put them down and walk away and then they weren't there when you got back? Or maybe they did. <laughs> Mary and Pippin asked the same thing. And so Treebeard launches into a rather strange and sad story. What happened is that the Entwives wanted more organized living. And they wanted, I love this, they're basically described as control freaks. They desired order and plenty and peace, by which they meant that things should remain where they had set them. Now, I have to say, as a mother who was constantly cleaning up a house with young children, I so understand this. <laughs> I so get it. I don't think it's limited to mothers by any means. But the idea of things not being where you left them, that has always irritated me. 
and we can all resonate also when we've had roommates or whatever who just can't ever put things back where they go. I really do understand the concept. This practice, though, that the Ents went on wandering and the Ent wives were creating gardens to live in. The unfortunate thing was then when the men went to war, the gardens were burned in the devastation of the last great war. And at that time, the Ent wives were no longer to be found. And it, we actually know where their gardens used to be. It's called the Brownlands, which is actually on our maps. Mm-hmm. And that's where they used to live. And now they don't know where they've gone. And so Treebeard reflects on all of this and then begins to sing a song that's meant to be sung between Ents and Entwives. And he sings both parts. And I love it. And in the Andy Circus reading, he gives different voices to the Ent and the Entwife. Yeah, he tries to modulate his voice up an octave for the Entwife, which I just love. His voice is so low and deep. Oh, my gravy. Again, I love that there's a spring, summer, winter verse that it's not until the end that they finally get reunited and take the road that leads into the west Treebeard into the song that is how it goes he said it is elvish of course light-hearted quick-worded and soon over and that the ants could do it more justice if they took their time <laughs> yeah don't be hasty and mary and pippin are tired so they climb into the bed and i want this airbnb I want to go stay at the Ent House Airbnb and curl up in the moss and look at the stars and listen to the raindrops as I'm falling asleep. Sounds so peaceful and lovely. And when they wake up, Treebeard explains that they're off to an Ent moot. And Pippin asks what Ent moot is, and Treebeard explains that it's a gathering of Ents, which does not often happen. So off they go. Treebeard picks up the hobbits again and stows them under his arms, and off they go. And there's yet another mention of this stifling air. And I'm wondering what that's all about. Like, I'm wondering if that's a residue of some bad trees, or is it just that the sky is covered up and, like, fresh air from the clouds is not able to get in there? Like, I'm just wondering what this whole stifling air thing is. I just imagine they're just saying how thick the trees are. I've been in quite dense forests that the air is heavy because the forest is literally so packed together with foliage and moss and the air is just different. And that's what I've always thought of it to be, just saying that this this forest is so thick and dense that the air is heavy. The breeze can't get through or whatever. Treebeard doesn't even talk the whole time, but he's always making this kind of sing-songing sound. And I realized maybe that's why Tom Bombadil always sings to himself, because he's a forest dweller and he's just learned this practice of singing all the time from hanging out with trees. I guess when there is not much company, you got to keep your own company, so you sing. <laughs> but the travel takes a while, and eventually they get to the Ent Moot and start meeting other Ents. And the first thing, Pippin is very worried about how long it takes him to speak. And since Entish is an unhasty language, he worries that the ants have only just finished saying good morning while he's waiting there with Mary. I love the description of the ant moot. Everything from Treebeard turning his hands into a horn that he could blow through to gather them to all the different ones arriving and looking different but having the same eyes. And then 
they describe them gathering in a circle. And I just kept thinking about like descriptions of Druid circles and other sort of prehistoric spiritual practices. And it was so cool that Mary and Pippin got to be in the middle of all this, even if they had no idea what the trees were saying to each other. And I also love that then Treebeard is immediately aware when Mary and Pippin sort of lose interest. He says you can go and drink water and hang around. And he puts the hobbits down. And before they walk away, they bow low, which tickles the Ents. I just love it. Well, Ents can't bow. So they head up to a place where they can peek out. And they're kind of wondering where they are. And Mary sees a peak that's probably Methodross. As he can remember, there's a place that is looking a little smoky, and that's probably where Isengard is, and they're just speculating about what all of that is. And then Mary says, you know, they seem really slow and queer and patient, these trees, but I bet if you woke them up, they would really be a force to be reckoned with. And Pippin says, yeah, but I don't think they like to be roused, because we saw Treebeard last night, and he just shut that down. Exactly. And they sit and they wait, miss their companions for a bit, and they keep waiting, and eventually Treebeard says, you're getting wary, or maybe you're impatient, but you can't get impatient because we've just finished our first stage, everyone knows what's happening, but now we need to decide what to do, and since there's going to be more waiting, I've bought you a companion, because he's already made up his mind. And it turns out there is a tree who doesn't need the same amount of time as everyone else. And he's already made his decision. So he's ready to leave the Entmoot and he takes Mary and Pippin back to his house. His name is Bragalad or Quickbeam. And I love it. They have called me that ever since I said yes to an elder ant before he had finished his question. They think he's hasty. And so he picks the hobbits up. There's a lot of carrying hobbits in this story. <laughs> well, you know, poor three-foot-tall hobbits trying to keep up with 14 trees. Yeah, that would not go so well. And we get a lot of description of Quickbeam's interaction with the other trees, how he greets them and he splashes his feet in the streams. And finally, at nighttime, they get to his house. He's talking about his history so he's one of Skinbark's people, and they're the ones who had lived closer to Isengard, and most of them had been felled by orcs. There were a bunch of rowan trees when he was in Enting many years ago, but now they are almost all gone. And he sings a song about three of them that the orcs had felled with their axes, and that song puts the hobbits to sleep. And they stay with him for the next day, and the day after that, at sunrise, they begin to hear the sound of Ent voices, and they're doing a battle mark. They have decided to go to war with Isengard. Turns out that once they make a decision, they do not wait around to take action on it. They are marching two by two and singing this incredible marching song. So Bregolab hoists up the hobbits again, and they are off to Isengard. Yep. And Pippin says, the Ents made up their minds rather quickly after all, didn't they? And Treebeard responds, quickly? Whom, yes, indeed, quicker than I expected. Indeed, I have not seen them roused like this for many an age. And we get another confirmation that they don't like being roused. And it hasn't happened since the War of Sauron and the Men of the Sea. But now it's time. It's time to take action down with Sauron. 
And Pippin and Mary have so many questions. They're like, will you really break down the doors? And he's like, you do not know perhaps how strong we are. And Reby then goes on to explain that trolls were actually made in mockery of the ants. And they consider themselves stronger than trolls. And we know trolls are strong. But also orcs were made in mockery of the elves. Yes. So I, I have so many questions and I really hope they get answered. But actually this tree philosophy, it's not bad life advice, right? Like once you've made up your mind, just get started. So you don't think yourself out of your action and then stop. Mm, it is good life advice. As they're marching, he has this line, and I'm going to say it's one of my most well-done lines in the movie. He says that likely enough that we are going to our doom, the last march of the end. And he goes on, but if we stayed at home and did nothing, doom would find us anyway, sooner or later. And it's like, you know, you've got to take action. If you just sit there, nothing's going to change, all the bad things are going to happen. But if you actually get up and do something, you can influence it. Exactly. Or at least try. And he regrets that he hasn't been able to see the songs of about the Entwives come true. And then I love this quote too. But they're my friends. Songs like trees bear fruit only in their own time and their own way. And sometimes they are withered untimely. And as slow as the Ents have been up to this point, they are now striding at a great pace and the numbers keep growing. And it looks like the entire forest is waking up and joining the party. And Pippin is watching all of this in the nightfall. He can't believe all of the different beings that he's seeing coming together. They arrive at Isengard and they look down into it. And the last line of this chapter is night lies over Isengard, Treebeard. Dun, dun, dun. I love this chapter. I know it drives you nuts in some ways, but I love everything that we learn. And I also love the idea that... Taking time when you have it is important, but also then once you have an action in place that you need to just get after it. I said earlier on, I think the Ents are my second favorite character after Tom. So I, I just loved it all. I do hope at some point they find their wives. Maybe it won't be till after the war, but maybe once we've destroyed the ring and defeated all the forces of evil in Middle Earth, maybe that's part of the final chapters of the whole trilogy that ends are reunited with their wives. Wouldn't that be awesome? It would be lovely if they could be reunited. Hey everyone, have you remembered to follow us on our social media? We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Podmoot. You can also check down below for a link to our Discord. Thank you for subscribing and sharing the podcast with your friends. Thanks y'all. Kristen, do you have a character shout out for the week? Yeah, I mean, how can it be anyone other than Treebeard? He found the hobbits. He nurtured them. He called the ant moot. He got everybody organized. He made sure that Mary and Pippin were taken care of. And then he convinced all the trees. And then he led the march. Like, how can it be anyone other than Treebeard? I'm giving it to Quickbeam because he gets it. Let's keep going. Let's move. Let's not keep taking so long. <laughs> He's a much more modern day tree. <laughs> so, are you ready for prediction versus fiction? Dun, dun, dun. I did predict that one of the options is that Treebeard is the name of a tree. So, you did. That was my first one. The name Treebeard is the name of a tree that Mary and Pippin will meet and talk to. Yep. Score. 
or your other idea was like old man willow a tree with a beard will capture them and you thought they would try to cut wood or remove the tree beard and get in trouble from the tree and will be faced with an unhappy tree i think that's still going to happen not maybe not to mary and pippin but i i think that might be something that happens in a future chapter somebody is going to disrespect a tree <laughs> and suffer the consequences <laughs> i mean do you want them against you i think not they'll just stomp on you and you'll that'll be the end of it yeah no i'm not reversing a big tree that can walk and yell at me please don't yell at me are you ready for the next chapter title okay the white rider the white rider well we've had black riders now i i will just give a disclaimer here that as you and i were talking just now and we turned the last page of the tree beard chapter, the first page of the next chapter was on the facing page and I saw the name Gimli. So I already know that the next chapter we switch back to the three hunters. So I, you know, sorry about that, but I, I was already kind of thinking that, okay, well, we've gotten to Isengard and we are nowhere near ready for a battle. Like we have got to figure out what's going on with the hunters. So I was thinking that's where we're going to head back to their perspective so I'm guessing that the vision that Aragorn saw in the forest of the man with the hat, like I'm guessing that they find out what that is and it turns out to be a white rider and it's somebody, oh, see, now I have to make a decision. I still, I don't think it's Saruman, although it could be, it could be that Saruman's no longer walking, that he's riding on a, ooh, does he ride an orc? Does Saruman ride an orc? <laughs> That would be sorry, so sorry. messed orcs, up. Orcs are bipedal. So now I've just got this image of Saruman <laughs> riding the shoulders of an orc just okay. around. Okay, never mind. Um, <laughs> okay, so I'm guessing then that, oh, I have to make a decision. I think that the vision that Aragorn saw was Gandalf, but I don't think that we meet back up with Gandalf yet. I think the white rider is Saruman. And I think Saruman is trying to figure out what happened to these hunters, that they escaped the initial orc attack. And even though they didn't get a message to Isengard about the defeat of the orcs by the Rohirrim, the news has gotten to Saruman about that. And I think Saruman is now going to try to track down the three hunters and figure out what's going on. So, wait... It said no news ever came to Isengard. So what news came to Isengard? Um, I don't think the news came to Isengard. I think the news reached Sauron that... Who's in Isengard. <laughs> but what I'm saying is he's not in Isengard. He's the rider okay. who's walking around. Okay, so he's out wandering. Okay, I'm with you now. I'm with you. So Saruman has realized his orcs are all gone. And I think he's going to meet up with the hunters. or the, If not directly, I think the hunters are going to see him. And there's at some point we have to unite the trees and the two hobbits with the three hunters. Now, I don't think that's in this chapter. I think we're going to have another two chapters at least of what's going on with the hunters. So at least two chapters before Fellowship Reunion. Yeah, I. but then I also had this thought, like, what if this is actually one of the riders of Rohan that was down clearing out the livestock and bringing them across the Entwash. And so they meet up with one of them that was not in the initial group. Oh, God, there's so many possibilities. Um, I think that's the best I got. I, I think yeah. the 
We're, we are still early part of this book. We are going to be meeting lots and lots of new characters. Yeah, I think that's the yeah. best I can do. So let's just do some clarifying, just make sure the prediction's right. So back to the three hunters, which I've put in spoils by seeing the next page. So you said the man in with the hat is a white rider, but then said the man is Gandalf, then that the rider is Saruman. So are we going with it Saruman? Well, I think it's I, – I don't have enough information – I don't think Gandalf it's is the White Rider. Guesses. I don't I think, think Gandalf the is the White Rider. I think that the White Rider is either Saruman or it's one of those of the Rohirrim that we heard about clearing out the Entwash, but we did not meet them. All right, so two seconds. So the man Aragorn saw, is that Gandalf? Yes. Okay, so and then the White Rider is Saruman or a Rohirrim. Right, because the, the figure that Aragorn saw was not writing anything he was walking and he had a hat so i think it's gandalf saruman has realized his orcs are all gone and is trying to work out what has happened i think that's true regardless of who the white rider is yes i think that's true and what's going to happen in this chapter like we've got the premise we've got a premise that it's either saruman or rohirrim but what happens to make this the title of the chapter well when we last saw the hunters they had begged off from the writers not to go and greet their king and all of that that they needed to find the hobbit so i think that is still this highly motivating charge that they want to rescue the hobbits and they want to find them they got close to well i mean they they saw the place where the bodies have been burned so i'm wondering if at some point in the forest they pick up the trail of the hobbits so you think they're going to go in well they are in they're on the edge of it already yeah but they're going to go in because previously you said that aragorn would take kellerboard's advice not go into fangorn and walk around it okay you're right i think they go around it which leads me even more to think that the the rider is actually another member of the Rohirrim, that I don't think it's Saruman. Okay, so do you want me to strike that it's Saruman? No, it's no, Rohirrim? just I leave it no. as a possibility. I mean, I, I just, I think I'm leaning now more towards it's a member of the groups of men in this area. Okay. Anything else you want to say or predict? Yeah, I mean, I think the initial motivating factor is the hunters trying to find the hobbits, but I think they're going to continue to meet other people and get other information. And at some point, but probably not too soon, they are going to end up at Isengard. But I also think at a certain point, they are going to make a trip to see the king and all of that. Like, I think that's coming because Aragorn already knows him, but I don't know how or when that happens. Yeah, I there's I, I, I have so little to go on. I, I think this chapter is going to be a whole new part of the adventure and a whole new bit of information. Yeah, that's what I think. Okay, then. Homework for the week to read the chapter The White Rider. I will say, so I had a good thought all of a sudden and I lost it. Thanks for joining us. If you want to find us on social media, we are on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Podmoot. Our email address is podmood at gmail.com and our website is podmood.com. If you'd like to contact me personally, I'm at Mel Bickett on Twitter and Instagram. Kristen, where can people find you? I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Kristen Conducts. Norvera Mellon, until we meet again. Bye, y'all.